welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. Indicted, arrested, and arraigned. What a week it has been for Donald J. Trump, whom around these parts on the scam economy, we know him more as the founder of the Trump Cards NFTs. Now, Trump may not have gotten in trouble for his cryptocurrency activities, but he certainly isn't the only crypto entrepreneur getting in trouble with the law lately. Let's just put NFT artist Donald Trump to the side for a moment and focus on these four horsemen of the crypto apocalypse. From a fugitive who was on the run to a crypto founder that was defrauding his followers, on this week's episode of Scam Economy, we're going to talk about Terra founder Do Kwan, Tron founder Justin Sun, Binance founder CZ, and of course, we'll make a little room for FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. But before we dive into the crypto crimes, let's talk about someone whose books aren't being fudged around with, and that's me, your host, Matt Binder. To support this show and what I do, be sure to go to patreon.com slash mattbinder to become a monthly paying subscriber. Your support helps this show grow. And of course, you can find the audio podcast version of this show at scameconomy.com and the video version of this show at youtube.com slash slash Matt Binder. Now let's get into the four biggest names, a few of which who will very likely find themselves going from being on the blockchain to being behind bars. And joining me now to discuss all of this, and, and there are quite a few uh, newly minted crypto criminals, <laughs> alleged criminals, to, to discuss is freelance journalist Jacob Silverman. He writes about tech and crypto, and he's the host of the new four-episode podcast for CBC called Naked Emperor, all about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Jacob, welcome back to Scam Economy. Glad to be here again. Thank you. It's always fun. I'm so glad to have you here because, I, you know, I got to say, uh, the... The uh, marketing department at CBC is unbelievable. Uh, timing this podcast's four-episode release. They came out one at, by one, right? They didn't all drop at once. Um, to, yep. You know, timing this four-episode release as uh, we get uh, three different sorts of uh, indictments and, and charges against various, uh, various, I should say, major crypto figures, one by one by one. Um, I mean, I feel like uh, the fact that there are four people we're talking about today on uh, a show where you just came out with your four-episode podcast, it's like, wow, amazing marketing over there. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I, I was internally, I, I, not that I'm very experienced with podcasting before this, but I was arguing for them to uh, gently to saying, oh, I think we should release it all at once so people could binge it. And partly because selfishly, I was afraid that, you know, something would happen or Sam Bankman-Fried would change his plea, um, you know, just things that would make it a little more difficult on my end. Not that that that, that matters in comparison to like the actual news. Um, so it did kind of work out pretty well. We had our last episode released today, Monday, when we we're recording this. 
Or is it today, Tuesday? I'm losing track now. No, today uh, is Monday, Monday right? But Thank but you. people will will hear this on on Wednesday. It's all it's all just a mishmash of it's time. It's just a nowadays. flow of time. Right. Anyway, the four episodes are out, and uh, I mean, honestly, I think it has kind of dovetailed nicely with the news cycle. I mean, there there was uh, a superseding indictment against Sam Bankman Fried. You know, Nishad Singh had one of his colleagues has turned against him, um, but we're still sort of on the same kind of trajectory it seems where sam will go on trial in october and then as you said we've had these other major crypto figures face either criminal charges or major civil uh complaints and it it does feel like the net is sort of gradually closing in on the on the cartel right right and we're gonna we're gonna focus on those uh other three the the new three uh uh, members of the uh, the the real reality TV show, I guess uh, we could call Orange is the new blockchain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, let's for a, a quick few minutes talk about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, um, I know you actually, and and you know this made you a perfect person to host this podcast uh, about what's been going on at FTX and with SBF. You actually had ex- exchanged messages with him, and you also this was before everything fell to pieces. But you also, uh, if I recall, while working on your upcoming book, you had met with him too, right? Yeah, we met once in person and we did exchange some DMs, you know, at at the I wouldn't say um, we had a prolific correspondence. I mean, this all started in the uh, spring of last year, so almost a year ago. But, uh, you know, I I thought about what that what it meant. And it was more he wasn't a source, really. I I think I misspoke in a recent podcast and kind of called the source. But it's kind of like a, you know, journalist subject relationship, I'd say, in that I I'd ask him questions sometimes, or sometimes he'd respond privately to my public tweets. And I think part of it, and we explore this a little bit on the show, but I think part of it is, you know, Sam was up at all hours. Um, you could argue, you could point to reasons why, but uh, he liked to talk to people. I, I mean, he certainly was was cunning in his own way, or is, and was, you know, was constructing a, an elaborate influ- political influence operation. But, you know, he kept tabs on journalists and he talked to a lot of people, I think. I haven't really talked to many other journalists who DM'd with him much. But, yeah, he the main things he DM'd me about were why Tether wasn't a scam and, and sort of also trying to steer me away from being too much of a, of a crypto critic. Um, you know, like I think like most journalists would, I, I was intrigued by it all and went along for the ride and said, OK, l- l- let's keep talking. But I was, you know, suspect and dubious about it all. Right, right. So, you know, we, we've talked about on this show, uh, we've done numerous episodes on FTX and, and Sam Bankman-Fried, and you have, you know, a, a packed four episodes of, of stuff that really goes deeper in, 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 into, uh, you know, your own experience with him and, and what's been going on since. Um, but really quick, just so we could sort of place him on this sort of scale of... Uh, these four guys as we go on. Can you briefly, you know, just like in a, in a minute, remind people, what is he, uh, you know, what is he being accused of doing? Sure. Uh, well, he's facing 13 felony charges at the moment. Uh, the number's gone up a couple times. And most of them are just char- sort of familiar forms of fraud or money laundering or conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Basically, um, 
all the crimes you end up committing, it seems, in the course of kind of stealing money in the world of crypto. So the main act he's accused of is uh, is taking a, up to perhaps $12 billion, the number's still kind of up in the air, of FTX cryptocurrency exchange customer funds, real dollars that people put in to buy crypto, and then diverting that to Alameda, his hedge fund, from where it was used for all kinds of things, from personal loans to real estate to making some really bad bets on the crypto markets. So most of the crimes Sam is accused of relate to that, to this misappropriation of money, which is, which is fraud. Um, what I think is interesting about the story in some ways and about our podcast is that it doesn't have a lot to do with crypto in some ways. I mean, crypto matters and it's part of the story. You can you can tell it from a sort of crypto focus or crypto first perspective, but we don't on the podcast because this is sort of, sort of uh, supposed to explain to, to the lay person, like what really happened here? What do we know? And that's the main thing we know is that um, at least according to several other company executives who have already pleaded guilty and implicated Sam, uh, he allegedly misappropriated up to $12 billion dollars and, you know, in the process, did all kinds of other potential crimes. There's also um, uh, charges of campaign finance violations that he funneled money through straw donors, one of whom apparently was Nishad Singh, his, his former colleague, to um, various politicians on, on both sides. And, um, and then the big one that was added last week was that he um, was a bribery charge, that he, he authorized at least $40 million worth of crypto to bribe some Chinese officials to unfreeze some uh, accounts that Alameda had in China on Chinese exchanges with up to a billion dollars worth of crypto. Uh, I'd have to, I think this was 2019, I'd have to double check, but, or maybe it was actually 2021, but I think that's also worth noting, like, because I, I have these open questions about what was what was Alameda up to in Asia when they were based in Hong Kong for a while before going to the, the Bahamas and stuff like that. And it, that's pretty serious stuff to be ha to have a billion dollars worth of crypto on some Chinese exchanges, which is not the friendliest market, and then to be bribing Chinese officials at that level. That that is something really serious. Right. Right. So anyway, he could go to jail forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, it's not looking good for him, and I I think a lot of people. Um, you know, this was a big story when it broke in November because it was sort of juicy how it all sort of went down. You know, with um. You know, there were these uh, uh, rumors of like uh, elite financials and, and legit reporters then got their hands on them and, and reported on what it looked like. And it looked like they didn't have much of any liquid, uh, you know, capital on hand. And then the uh, the uh, word got around and Binance decides to sell off the uh, the FTX token, FTT token. And everyone starts withdrawing from FTX, and it's just and Sam Bankman-Fried. While this, you know, in the in the lead up to this, he had portrayed himself uh, or was trying to portray himself as this like savior of crypto. Whenever a company would land on hard times, he would swoop in and save them. And he was spending money on lobbying and meeting with politicians, also putting himself forward as like the face of crypto. So yeah, everything came together for this guy. Uh, his, you know, the collapse of this guy to be a, a pretty big deal when it eventually happened. But I, I do feel like these, uh, not all three of them, but I would say 
at least two out of three of them, I think, actually have the potential to be even juicier, honestly, depending on, depending on, and I could be wrong, maybe all three even. Uh, you, 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 could, you could correct me if I'm wrong here. So let's start with the one I think people should uh, hear about first, because his failure sort of started this whole crypto collapse last year. And that is, of course, the uh, founder of uh, the cryptocurrencies Terra and Luna, Do Kwan. Right, right. Um, you might get you might get my cat in the frame. Or oh, that's on, great. No, uh, hello. Uh, what's he, the name of the cat? He, his name is Harry. He cannot be stopped if he wants to to come. Anyway, um, yeah. Do, so Do Kwan, for for those who haven't been following along, he has been a fugitive from South Korean justice for. Many months, uh, about a year ago, actually, his uh, stablecoin called Terra started unraveling. And basically the associated coins and his whole empire, uh, which, you know, when we talk about numbers in crypto, especially now, they're always sort of notional. They're theoretical, like you're never going to cash out for for the a billion dollars worth of, of Bitcoin, if it, even if it says a billion dollars. Um, so, you know, supposedly Do Kwan's empire is worth some 40 plus billion dollars, um, all of those tokens together. But um, so it was a major crash. But what was that 40 billion dollars worth of real money? N- not really. But anyway, this is this is kind of what kicked off the, the latest collapse, latest crypto winter. And also, I think, um, you know, if we're looking for commonalities here and sort of threads between all of these folks, well, one, they all did business with each other. Um, I, I sort of use the word cartel sometimes, and I, I'm starting to take that idea more seriously. But also, um, you know, they all owed each other. There wasn't that much real money in the system. And a lot of people were sort of keeping the plates juggling or just simply minting their own tokens out of thin air. And all, all these kinds of um, vulnerabilities started being exposed, I think, with Terra and Luna. And then... It, which was certainly the first major domino, but now it's something that we then saw throughout throughout the crypto ecosystem was that there was very little real money, there was a lot of fraud, there was it was a, was very hard for people to pay each other back once loans were being called in and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, Terra certainly kicked it off, and Do Kwan was arrested last week in Montenegro of all places. Um, there had been some rumors he had gone to Serbia, but. Um, you know, I'm not sure on the, the exact extradition situation there. I think what some people need to realize is that, like, um, you know, their their extradition treaties, and, and I'm not an expert in, the, in this kind of law, but just because a country doesn't have an official treaty or extradition agreement with the U.S., that doesn't mean these folks are safe, If especially if a country like the United States comes calling. So, uh, you know, like, you have the three AC guys are in, are in who went bankrupt pretty quickly after Terra and are part of this whole story. Uh, they've tried to reinvent themselves and are now supposedly living in Indonesia and the UAE, which are supposed to be non-extradition countries. But again, like th- those are American allies. And if America wants to favor trade or arrest these guys, I'm sure they'll be able to. Um, so we saw Do Kwan being shuffled into a van and him and a business partner. Of course, he had, I mean, he's always on that grind. So he started a new company in, in, uh, in Montenegro with uh helped along by some lawyers who seem to be like the guys who you use for crypto business if you if you're in that region um and i have i can't believe that they didn't know who he was 
Um, and he's been, his extradition has been requested by the U.S. and South Korea. So he had been charged with various financial crimes in South Korea, which is where his business was really uh, centered for a while. But now it seems the U.S. wants a piece of him, too. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, these guys are going to become pretty familiar pretty quickly with the, the punitive nature of the American justice system. Right. And, you know, we should say uh, Do Kwan, um, you know, he was he was a fugitive for quite a while. Like he was on the yeah. lam for for a decent chunk of time. Um, what, 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 what? Yeah, months. And, and there was talk. Of, I mean, I believe that he had a fake Costa Rican passport when he was recently apprehended at the airport there. Um, you know, these people, these guys are talking about like, and he would shit talk on on, on Twitter saying like, "Oh, I'm not really a fugitive," but I, I think that a couple of things we have to learn about these folks is that, or sort of this type of person, so call them the crypto fugitive and the perhaps potential crypto fugitives, is like, well, one, they're 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 happy to lie, you know. Doquan was never t- telling the truth about anything really, um, and neither was Sam Bankman-Fried up until everything collapsed. Uh, he even insisted past the time of collapse that FTX US was solvent, which apparently wasn't true. So, like, these guys will lie in, in, uh, as long as they can. And, but also, despite the fact that they seem sometimes kind of amateurish or clownish, they are connected potentially to, like, kind of traditional criminal networks. Partly because I think crypto is good for money laundering and, and for internet illicit finance on an international scale. So, like... There's no surprise, I think, that someone like Do Kwan had the resources to leave uh, Singapore, where he was when South Korea charged him. His South Korean passport was canceled. He somehow left uh, Singapore, which is a fairly um, authoritarian country, and certainly a surveillance state, and maybe left under another passport, maybe left on a ship, uh, and then made to Serbia and had at least another passport for Costa Rica. So, like... You know, they they may not be the world's most sophisticated criminals, but you know they do resemble kind of in some ways like old-fashioned international criminals dealing in illicit finance and and fake identities and things like that. Right. They certainly have the means. Like I think that's something people should understand. Like right. Like when we talk about the money not being there, yeah, their their multi-billion-dollar empires are are fake, but the money they do uh, extract from uh, people who buy their tokens or invest in them. They pretty much just use it for themselves, like they, and that's yeah. a lot, and that's a lot of money for an individual. Not not enough to claim you're a multi billion dollar company, but it's certainly enough for an individual to uh, uh, go jet setting uh, under various secret identities. <laughs> yeah, and and it's reasonable to think that some of these guys, including Go Quan, cashed out along the way. I mean, they may yeah, they may not have a billion U.S. dollars in the bank, but they could have sixty million in a Swiss bank account or something, which would certainly. Uh, keep you keep you running for a while or something like that and uh, you know i think some of the accusations that are emerging uh, are that maybe you know some of these people used each other to help them cash out or you know even in his um in his written testimony that he never got to deliver for congress sam bankman fried includes screenshots uh, i think very deliberately of group chats with cz and others in the industry there's including one called exchange coordination so there's certainly you know, there's been talk about this for years, rumors, but we haven't really seen screenshots of high-level executives in the industry seemingly uh, debating or coordinating activity. Um, and I think that is the kind of thing that exists here. I think crypto is a small club. I mean, Bitfinex, the popular online critic, has been saying this since the beginning, which is that, you know, it's really like 15 guys. 
Right. And I, the 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 way you see crypto move around and sort of the deals that are made and stuff, it's hard not to think that sometimes. I mean, like just like look at everyone we're talking about this episode. They're all connected. Um, CZ helped pr- provide early startup funding for um, for FTX. He also helped tip, knock over FTX by selling the FTT. Justin Sun was offering a bailout package for FTX. I mean, of course, it wasn't going to work, but. You know, like all these guys seem inevitably connected. Justin Sun seems to be sending a lot of money to Binance. You can see that on chain. Um, so, you know, you don't have to be conspiratorial to start seeing that. It just simply is a small world, um, including the way in which after FTX went down, you had all the people who went bankrupt in the six months before, like Celsius and 3AC and these others start blaming Sam Bankman-Fried and saying, oh, Alameda was hunting our positions or manipulating markets or whatever else, like, you know, the guy that they've been doing business with a few months earlier was now the guy that allegedly w- took them all down and, and you know, w- would suffer for the industry, um, for the industry sins. So, um, and then if you even just look at the notional market cap for, for crypto, right now it's over a trillion dollars, I think. I mean, that's that's not a lot of money. That's like Apple. Right. A one Apple computer. Right. Uh, which obviously is one of the biggest companies in the world, but like, you know, we, we throw these big numbers around, but I think it, it's worth keeping or keeping in mind that like, um, that these numbers are both real and fake, and they also kind of reflect a very small market where a lot these people really do know each other and talk to each other all day. Right. I love I love the fact that uh, a slew of these guys were all in a group chat labeled crimes. Like they titled it crimes. <laughs> like it's amazing. I know. I felt like it was. I think I said that someone was a RICO charge in the title. Like, I mean, my personal theory for that is that is that Sam did that intentionally, obviously because. I mean, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm not the the Department of Justice, but I would think that if they saw that, they would immediately try to subpoena everyone in that group chat or subpoena a full copy of that chat and those people's phones and everything um, to to look at uh, you know facilitation of fraud and and insider trading, all these other things, uh, securities fraud, etc. But um, so it's, it felt like Sam pulled the pin on a grenade and said, "If I'm going down, you guys are going down too." Right. Um, you know, exposing the the kind of collusion that a lot of people figured was there. Right. Uh, and, that that was kind of my theory. And we'll get into him in a second, but it's got to be that you know he he obviously looks at uh, CZ of Binance as probably uh, why he's in the predicament he's in because he keeps bringing out like he's constantly brought up that if he only had more time he thinks he could have raised the funds and made everybody whole and everything and fixed everything and he also brings up that like his legal counsel uh, you know uh, convinced him to file for bankruptcy when he shouldn't but this all stems from the fact that once Binance uh, decided that they were out of their FTT holdings that everything uh, began to collapse right then and there. Like he's got to have this resentment of CZ. Yeah, I mean, as a, as sort of a business drama, it, it's a it's a pretty good story, you know. Like, because uh, in some ways, even like Sam Sam's an inter- interesting character, but he's a little bit boring. But like the drama that these guys are caught up in, which is that. Um, especially for folks who may not know crypto as well. Like, yes, as you said earlier, Sam was the face of crypto. He was, yeah, so what? He was donating to every politician under the sun. He was going to make, uh, you know, crypto safe for the masses. That was sort of the, you know, the mainstream vision of him. Um, and uh, and he, he was untouchable in some ways, and he was probably the second most important figure in crypto next to CZ. And, you know, because all these companies are so entangled, what happened was, as some folks know, um, at one point, 
Sam a couple of years ago decided he wanted to part ways from from Binance. Binance owned a share of FTX because they they had funded them early on, or invested in them, and so he bought out uh, Binance with fake money with 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 uh, I believe it was BUSD, the Binance stablecoin, and with FTT, the FTT token, um, and so when you do that, when you give your your sort of once and future rival hundreds of millions of dollars worth of your own token as a crypto company, you're giving them the kind of the means to destroy you if they want to dump it on the market in the future, at least is how I read that. I think Sam was probably desperate to get away from Binance and was probably too arrogant to think that CZ would ever do something like that. But, um, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Binance says this, and I actually kind of agree, like, Sam and company are responsible for FTX going down. But the timing and manner, of course, I think were influenced by CZ and Binance and what they did. I mean, CZ, when the balance sheet leaked, it showed things were a mess over there. And then CZ saw an opportunity from sort of a, you know, kind of a cunning corporate operator perspective. And he's like, all right, I'm going to dump my FTT. I mean, he said it very politely. And, uh, but it was basically him saying, I'll take, a 500 or 800 million dollar loss how much however much it was worth at the time by dumping the stuff on the market just to screw you over and that that's how I, I read that and then of course um all within a couple days there you know there's a scrambling for rescue package from everyone under the sun uh, excuse me uh, from <laughs> including justin's son and then uh <laughs> pardon me uh, that was that actually was pretty good <laughs> um and then, uh, and then, you know, he he capitulates to CZ, and and they because they they had this letter of intent that Binance is going to buy FTX for probably pennies on the dollar, and I think very notably, uh, Sam said something on Twitter to the effect of like, "Into a certain unnamed rival, you won," or or something like that. He basically he gave in, and and Sam is 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 an arrogant guy like a lot of CEOs, I think, and. Then CZ did something even more cunning, which is that after a day or two, he said, actually, uh, the books don't look so good and we can't fix this. Um, we're pulling out. It was just a letter of intent. So no, thank you. And, that, you know, that really is a pretty, pretty back alley move. Um, and it worked. And that's when you finally have FTX tipping over. And this is all within the space of a, a week, of course. And then within a month, Sam is in handcuffs. Um so that's the drama, I think, and the story that we try to tell in the podcast, too, uh, and why this all seems so kind of insane from crypto obsessives, even people like us who are, who are critics but obsessed with, uh, with the dark side, is that, like, no one thought it would really go down this way, I think. Like, right. we have questions about all these guys, uh, and they're pretty much all guys, but, um, you know, people thought that the, the eventual crypto apocalypse would, would kind of proceed differently. Right, right. I mean... I... I think actually this 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 what we just this segment we just did right here is actually like the perfect encapsulation of just how entwined all these figures are because I want to remind people we are still in the Doquan segment of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we never we haven't moved on officially to CZ or Justin Sun yet. And just in the story of Doquan, you just can't help but bring and you this could have happened in any of these uh, segments. You just can't help but bring up how uh, they were in cahoots or working with or secretly trying to screw over yeah. another one of these major crypto players. Um, 
And I can also go on long tangents, so that it's not just the relationships. It's all all blab about any of these guys. So to, so to just close up the Doquan segment, though. Sure. Um, he he, there was an Interpol like red notice out for him. Like that's how serious this was. And what what like like, so Terra Luna failed. Uh, I know he tried to then instead of just let people know it was dead, it was over. He tried to restart it, and then that immediately collapsed. And I'm sure he made uh, some money off of that one when he launched like Luna Two. Um, and then, like you just mentioned, he was um, starting some new project that I don't think got off the ground yet. Um, so what what? And I know South Korea and both the U.S. are are have have uh, are taking a look at him. And have charged him. What are, what is exactly are they uh, uh, alleging that he did? I I think the crimes are, are again certain types of, of financial fraud. I actually I'm not sure if there's been an unsealed. Pardon me, I should have <laughs> looked no, this up before, fine. but I'm not sure if there's been an indictment unsealed yet in the U.S. Just we know at least that he uh, uh, his extradition has been requested. But you know, usually uh, there's also this the situation of Do Kwan, There's also um, other things besides Terra and Luna, like he had been subpoenaed earlier by the SEC for um, for this uh, for Mirror, this this sort of protocol he made that kind of it basically created to- Mirror or like a token versions of a fi- of real stocks. He kind of made a, a a mirrored version of the U.S. stock market. And there's a there was a kind of infamous incident a couple of years ago at a conference in New York where the SEC tried to serve him with a subpoena and he said no. And then he had been fighting the subpoena, um, you know, that that could potentially be I mean, besides uh, trying to fight the subpoena, you know, he may have been committing some form of securities fraud by basically replicating the U.S. stock market uh, synthetically. Um, and oh, I, I have expect- it. I have it right in front of me now. Um, so yeah. he, he already had civil charges filed against him by the SEC. Uh, but the Department of Justice is, geez, charging him with conspiracy to defraud, commodities fraud, securities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to engage in market manipulation. Nice. Um, the filing alleges, and this is from Coindesk, alleged that Quan made a number of untrue and misleading statements of material fact over the course of several years, citing TV appearances and tweets from the accounts tied to Terraform Labs, which is like the the the, yep. the official company behind the stablecoin Terra and its the sister token Luna. Well, that that actually raises a couple good points too, and thank you for looking that up. Um, you know, one one thing I've I've sort of decided is that all these guys kind of end up committing the same crimes just in the course of doing business, frankly, because they're all doing various unregistered securities and commodities offerings, depending on how you define this stuff. And they're doing it overseas usually and maybe illegally accessing U.S. markets or, or banking system. Like, it's just like, as a matter of course, almost, they're committing like seven felonies uh, of various types by just doing this stuff. It's and then when the you business. get into like, yeah, and then when you get into sort of deliberate um, criminality, you can add a few more on. Like, and, and the other thing that stands out to me there is the misleading statements. So that, uh, or misrepresentations, that's fraud, you know, uh, uh, usually. Um, so if you misrepresent what you're doing with, with investors' money or you lie to your investors or something like that, um, and these guys are always posting or always making, as um, Kadem Schuber, who writes for the Financial Times, told us in our podcast, these guys are, I'm not sure if this line made it to air, but he was talking about how they're always making content, these guys. Um, you know, they're always tweeting or doing videos or whatever. Some of them are always up on amphetamines, we know. 
Um, so there's there's like a deep corpus of text and statements from them that you can just match against that authorities are already matching against you know actual financial records and business records to say no you lied so and that's fraud um depending on the situation so we have tweets from from these guys from various people appearing in indictments uh, against caroline ellison or do kwan or or sbf or all these other people or um, that that guy whose name I forgot who who d- manipulated the mango market and then like posted all about how he did it and then his whole tweets got um, his name is Eliezer I think um, uh, and then he recently got arrested and all the whole tweet thread was in the indictment like I don't think these guys realize that they're they're sort of they're provide they've been providing the fuel like and the evidence that like literal copy paste job for future indictments and and we're seeing that play out so that that's another thing with with those the idea of like lying and misrepresentations and these public appearances like you just gotta get some lawyers at the D- department of justice start going through this stuff and they'll find it right I, I do have to say that I respect the true poster mentality of these guys where they they just they just they're, they're so online they can't help but just share their crimes because it makes for good content uh, of course <laughs> and and of you know more seriously but not too seriously like posting is part of the job like it's all hype it's all hype and and fakery kind of um because there's there's very little under underlying value blah 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 sort of the the inherent critiques of crypto which we could re, uh we could go over but like so in the, in the absence of that you have to post you have to market you have to push you have to be exciting you have to seem like you have some big ambitious roadmap like you're going to change everything like do kwan had this famous statement where in a chat someone said like how do we know you won't just rug pull and he said something about how it wasn't in his interest or like it wasn't his three billion wasn't his price to rug pull how like he wanted to get his stable coin up to something like a hundred billion um but it's like you know how can you trust anyone who says something like that three billion will tempt anyone um right but you know the, these statements are out there, and they'll be in every indictment and documentary from here to eternity. I think this is a perfect place to move to to Justin Sun, because this is a guy who, out of all four of them, I think, in my opinion, and I will add this addendum up front that out of all four of the people we, we've been speaking about, or or you know, and we'll get more into CZ in a bit. Um, Justin Sun's the one I personally am the least familiar with. However. I am familiar with him in the sense that out of all four of them, he seems to embody that online hype man more than any of them. Because the other guys at least went through or continue to go through the facade of being uh, business guys. They have companies. They're, they're running a business. They go out of their way to do the whole uh, lobbying and, and, and uh, meeting with uh, other business people and signing deals and, and with the major entities that are not in the crypto world trying to legitimize what they're doing. Whereas Justin Sun, as far as I've seen, everything about him is just hype on the internet from usually his personal account too. It's not even like he, he goes by his his various company uh, accounts or something. Yeah, I, I find him hilarious. I, I, you know, just in this um, journalistic or storyteller perspective, I just think he's a great character um, in some ways. But, you know, there's an article I always recommend. Um, that it's called something like The Many Escapes of Justin's Son. It's on The Verge uh, website. It's a great history of basically how this guy has been jumping from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, including places like the Bay Area, 
um, I think he was in Tokyo, um, South Korea. You know, he's been all over. He's 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 originally from China, and now he's in the Caribbean mostly. But he's been talking up Hong Kong a lot on Twitter, and he just, you never really know. You know what some of his projects are, but you don't know if he owns certain companies or has a controlling interest in them. But he'll still be promoting them or or sort of or saying he has some affiliation and and there's a funny there's a really kind of stupid but funny meme that says like that has, has him saying they're smiling and he's going i'm announcing that tomorrow i will make an announcement or something like that i subscribe to his telegram <laughs> feed and it's like that every day that like you know he's teasing interviews with like third tier hip hop artists like weeks in advance and like everything he's doing is amazing and like nation state level but also so cool and there're definitely a lot of bots i mean his main company is tron and the tron protocol which receives a lot of tether um but uh so so there're tons of tron bots and every post he makes is is responded to by tons of bots but he's kind of like the clown prince of crypto or something it's like you know, I made a joke like when he uh, on another podcast about like when he was talking about bailing out FTX. It was sort of like if the Harlem Globetrotters bailed out the New York Knicks or something like that. Like he he's he's really hard to take seriously, but at the same time, he also happens to be a major player. At least it, it seems like one in, some, in whatever counts as major player in crypto. Um, so one example, just you know, we know that Tron is his baby, that blockchain. Um, and it's a major tether partner, but he, you know, he he used to own Poloniex, which is an exchange. I believe he sold it and bought it back. Um, he has a, a stablecoin called USDD, which he does acknowledge. There's another one called TUSD, which I don't think he acknowledges. Uh, he has been bragging about an affiliation with with Huobi, a major uh, Asian exchange, for uh, probably a year now. And for a while, it was just like he was an advisor, but then. Everyone thought maybe he bought out someone's share and no one confirmed it. But now the company basically act. Now it's like he is the guy running Huobi, even though he's not the owner or CEO of Huobi. So it's just and you could you could point to several other companies and things like that. Um, oh, I miss I'm missing the, the best part, which is that um, last year he became a Grenadan <laughs> diplomat, the island I, I nation of Grenada. Um, he became a citizen and became their diplomat to the World Trade Organization. Like, obviously, some kind of pay-for-play. And supposedly, he lost his title after a new government came in last year, but he still calls himself His Excellency. Um, so he is this crazy... He, he always refers... He often refers to himself as that, or as H-E. And recently, he's also been doing stuff with... Apparently, falling out of favor in Granada, he's been doing stuff with the island nation of Dominica, which is also in the Caribbean. Very small, poor country. And, you know, the Caribbean uh, you know, really has been this sort of colonialist test bed for cryptocurrencies. I mean, there's a bah Bahamian dollar, uh, a sand dollar. Obviously, FTX was in the Bahamas and had basically the whole place wired or paid for on their behalf. Um, so that's kind of where um, Justice Sun fits in, I'd say, and also into sort of the Caribbean crypto landscape where you see, you know, um, all, the, all these nation states kind of experimenting with crypto at the behest of kind of shady foreign moguls. Right now, with 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 Justin Sun, I remember, I, I remember because this sort of I guess really highlight. And there were a few people who did this, but no one at the uh, the the size of Justin Sun and his place in the industry. But I remember when Ukraine was raising money via crypto, 
Um, he was, uh, he might've been the first or if not the first, uh, certainly the biggest, uh, of name that did this, who offered to cut a deal with them where if they accepted Tron in order to pump Tron, like this promote Tron, uh, if this is at the beginning of the war, right after, like immediately after Russia invades Ukraine, he's tra- using social media to cut deals where he's like, if you accept Tron, I'll donate a million dollars, like dangling a carrot over their head. It was just so, but such bizarre behavior. Even like, I feel like even like uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, Do Kwan, and and CZ would have seen that and been like, man, that's desperate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Justin Sun is like, he's sort of a grubby, shameless operator. Like, uh, you know, he has this re- this ridiculous, cheery, like, telegram and meme and bot operation. But like, there's, it, he's sort of the kind of guy who seems like there's no deal he wouldn't do or no way he wouldn't self promote, including trying to get his his shit coin into a war zone. Um, that is very much Justin Sun. And so just just so we can be clear, I mean, he was recently charged by the SEC. This is a civil complaint, but with um, and through some of the companies he owns, like Tron, BitTorrent, something called Rainberry, which I actually am not even that familiar with. Um, basically, um, pump and dumps, market manipulation, um, securities violations, stuff like that. Again, the, the stuff that happens in this industry, but as is almost a matter of course. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is that there are some celebrities and influencers who are mixed in. But, you know, this was interesting, the Justin Sun's SEC complaint, because, one, it, it's pretty long and thorough and, and it implicates other people. But also, um, you know, this feels like the first of many. And I think that's something where we can talk about with all these guys. Like, the you have civil complaints against Sun and CZ. So even though we're sort of talking about fugitive life, those guys haven't been charged with anything yet. But we know there's a criminal investigation of some sort into CZ and Binance, and there has to be something similar with Sun. I mean, the kind of activities that they're being charged with, even just in a civil setting, um, are crimes uh, when treated in, in criminal court. Or, you know, the, the, these complaints that the government is filing appear to have evidence of crimes. It's certainly something that could easily be passed to the Justice Department if it doesn't have it already, or maybe that's where it came from. So um, it, it feels like, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this stuff. And uh, I mean, Justin Sun is is my pick for the guy most likely to be living in a yacht, uh, living on a yacht off of the Seychelles in a few years. Like, <laughs> like you said, um, CZ, like he never comes to North America, but he is, he does hold himself out as a legitimate operator. He meets with heads of state. And not just like in small island nations, like with Macron and lives in Abu Dhabi and and like really wants to be seen as the leader of crypto because he is the most powerful figure in crypto. Sun is the guy who who will be, you know, just talking out of the other side of his mouth until, you know, he he pulls into the wrong port. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned earlier the, uh, you know, the the uh, under the table sort of undisclosed celebrity endorsements like you know, we saw FTX and I'm sure, you know, Binance uh, and um, uh, Terra, I believe, uh, might have done something too, uh, like legitimate sponsors and, and like deals, oh, yeah. clearly, clearly disclosing they were commercials. One of them even like, or not even, maybe even more than one of them was regularly on like Major League Baseball stadiums. I think that was Terra, right? So a couple, yeah. So Tara had had a big sponsorship with the Washington Nationals. Amazingly, they paid up front. Um, 
you know, I believe Doe Kwon's a South Korean citizen, but he went to Stanford, you know, he has U.S. ties. Um, and, yeah, they, they paid for a Terra Lounge, and, and it was on the outfield wall, the Nationals games, and they paid up front, so I guess... I don't know actually if they have it up this season, but they kept it up for the rest of last season. FTX, and this is something we talk about on our podcast, I mean, um, they had the FTX logo on umpires' uniforms, which I thought was kind of clever. Like, it, we, we say on the podcast, it associates them with sort of the people calling balls and strikes, you know, the, the regulators of the game, um, you know, the people arbitra- are sort of ensuring fairness ostensibly, like... Uh, or it kind of plays in this idea we're FTX we we like the rules and we're a responsible actor, um, so yeah and there and uh, FTX especially I think one one way it ran out of money pretty quickly was also it splashed a lot of money around um, that you know Larry David commercial yeah you'll have the big commercials the Miami Heat arena deal which was supposed to last 19 oh, years I believe and it lasted two um, that was 135 million dollars. And um, whereas, um, you know, Justin Sun is more in sort of the influencer mold where like, you know, paying people for these like for tweets and backroom deals and not like major ad campaigns. Right. I think um, be, I think you're even being a little generous doing the influencer sponsorship. This is like this is like shit coin status. This is the because like, oh, yeah, yeah. like, you know, legitimate influencer deals. It's like, you know, you get an online influencer to just like, you know, they, they make a little video or tweet of them using your product and they put they let it be known that it's an ad. This was completely undisclosed. Uh, and and really low tier, uh, you know, and not to dimin- diminish any of these celebrities if you're a fan of any of them. But what do these guys have to do with crypto? Uh, why are they telling you to uh, to run some of the names down? Because they're charged too, by the way. They're in trouble with the SEC as well. Uh, Lindsay Lohan, Soldier Boy. Um, who else was in this? Uh, Akon, Austin Mahone, Neo, Jake Paul, Lil Yachty. And uh, uh, porn star Kendra Lust. I mean, this is again not to attack any of these individual celebrities, but what are like this isn't like a Larry David commercial where there's some like higher, uh, you know, story idea to promote your. This is just like let's take advantage of these people's dumb fans. Honestly, that's usually what it is. Yeah, you know, it, it's not a very positive vision of this stuff. I mean. It, you know, you're really just trying to trick people into FOMOing their way in. Um, certainly the celebrities don't know anything or have much reason to endorse one token or another. One thing that these uh, complaints are good for also, though, is just showing, like, the various interconnections and self-dealing. And, like, yeah, like we said, everyone owes everyone. But also, like, you know, someone like Justin Sun is using sort of all of his own companies. And, um, and he's not the only one like this. But, like, things that seem like they're not related are probably related you know uh one hand is selling to the other that that's how wash trading works for example so um you know that that's kind of the useful side of or if you're fascinated by how some of these schemes work you can see that in some of these complaints and yeah it's not very sophisticated so uh, you know there's a lot here that the government can crack down on if they if they want to right and and now let's uh, you know, the thing is there's so much we could get like you did a whole four episode show on Sam Bankman Fried each of these guys I feel like could you could you could create a whole mini series about each one and go deep, I'd like super to. <laughs> deep into, that'd be great um, so but let's let's now uh, move on to what uh, the uh, allegations against 
CZ of Binance is. Now, he's the last on our list here, yeah. but possibly uh, the uh, biggest fish to catch. Um, yeah. This is the guy who, uh, you know, you may, people outside of the crypto world may not be familiar with him, but he's certainly uh, the major player in the industry. Uh, you know, he, he founded and heads up what is the largest crypto exchange in the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a big deal that so ba basically uh, CZ was just uh, charged by the Commodities Future Trading Commission, the CFTC, um, w along with one of his former colleagues, this guy Samuel Lim and a bunch of companies that are part of the Binance Empire. Um, and it's a civil complaint um, and it's various types of, again, market manipulation and um, and potential instances of fraud and stuff like that and so, and just general misrepresentation of how Binance works. Um, you know, it's a 74-page complaint. It's pretty long and there's a lot of stuff in here that indicating there are text messages, including ones from signal groups that supposedly had, had self-deleting messages on. Uh, there's communications between internal Binance employees. So I think besides what's alleged here, what, what it shows is that um, the U.S. government is looking very seriously at Binance. I mean, we already knew that, but like they have access to cell phones and communications and, and, and besides, you know, what monitoring where the money is going. Um, and in a lot of ways, it looks like FTX because Binance is this broad is really as an as a thing. It's this broad network of companies. And many shell companies. When when FTX filed for bankruptcy, it was more than 100 companies, uh, something like 130 companies filed for bankruptcy. And there are a lot of questions like, why does FTX have so many companies? They they should have a few, perhaps, in different jurisdictions, but not so many. But what you see, of course, is all these all these companies are sort of hiding behind different shell companies in favorable jurisdictions and moving frequently. And you know, one company owns another, which owns another. Um, there are strange people listed as directors on a lot of these Binance companies. You and I had a long conversation right, about Guan Yin Chen. Episode, right? Yeah, on a, you came on. on. A, yeah, that was. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm that one is still fascinating to me because it's, uh, you know, it's so bizarre that this person who claims that they're just like some little uh, fish in the Binance pond having this uh, alleged control over the whole thing. Yeah, and so. You know, one of the one of the things that, and, and actually, I was waiting for Guardian Chen's name to pop up, but I don't think uh, she's in this document. But you know, after we had that conversation and did that episode, and um, later, um, Patrick Hillman, the Binance strategy comms guy, who's online a lot, he he described her to me in a public tweet as a co-founder, which I hadn't heard, which he had never said before. So it seemed like she got upgraded a little bit, but but also, you know, it shows they may not be sure how to handle her. Um, there's a company in the complaint called Sigma AG. This was supposed to be a market maker. Uh, uh, or it's, let's see, Sigma Sigma something AG, uh, Sigma Chain AG. And this was supposed to be a market maker for Binance US. It's based in Switzerland. Um, it, and according to CFTC, CFTC, it's directly or indirectly owned by CZ. Um, and actually, I, I'm pretty sure last time I checked, our friend Guanyin Chen was a director of this company, Sigma Chain. So, um, what they basically describe is there there are tons of companies, CZ controls them all, and there's a lot of fishy kind of trading and, and potential market manipulation going on on both Binance US and 
global Binance where most of the traffic happens. Um, and CZ allegedly controls 300 accounts himself, uh, which is a little strange. And, uh, and, and um, you know, there are all these there are these market makers or trading companies which seem to operate more on his behalf or behest than actually to, you know, generate uh, volume and activity on the platforms. And another thing that we've that uh, the CFTC has charged and that we've actually saw in some recent uh, reporting by the Financial Times is that they really encourage people in various jurisdictions, both the U.S. and China, to use VPNs to access Binance Global, where more of the action is you can risk more, you can uh, use more mar- uh, leverage or margin, uh, that kind of stuff. So um, it's, <laughs> I mean, these companies aren't, who they say they are, I think, even if you accept a, a small percentage of this stuff is true. Um, we still don't really know where Binance is based. We know that they at least have big offices in, in France and the UAE. But um, there's so much we come to accept, I think, as kind of abnormal or like the abnormal comes to be accepted as normal with, with crypto. And then when you see it all laid out in like one of these civil complaints or something, or you really start talking about like who Justin Sun is or how CZ operates, you're like, this isn't normal. Like, this is how, yeah, shady companies operate and potentially something more serious than that. Um, but we're always told, you know, CZ's latest thing is he, he has the number four for FUD. Um, and, you know, anytime something happens, like a major article will drop or a CFTC complaint that has tons of detail of internal company workings that certainly looks really fishy, he'll just go, oh, it's four. But, like, dude, eventually you're going to run out of excuses. I mean, this stuff is starting to accumulate. And even some of of the company's defenders, I think, are having a hard time explaining away why CZ, for example, has 300 accounts uh, to to, uh, do his own trading. And and this this just uh, uh, came out a few days ago where uh, he had tweeted that there was a a $1 billion recovery fund that would be moved – into uh, you know their 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 crypto uh, and, and apparently they just took that money and put it in a corporate wallet instead. Yeah, that I'm, that I think was Leo Schwartz at Fortune uh, who reported that and that you know they so we've had this pump uh, basically of crypto the last month or so, um, especially Bitcoin and and the industry is all excited again as if like we are we aren't still in the midst of of ongoing failures, um, but. Um, I was trying to figure out why, you know, it's hard to really figure out why, but, you know, Tether has printed something like $7 billion, maybe more in May, in March. Uh, I didn't look at the final numbers. Uh, I really doubt that anyone's giving Tether $7 billion in cash. And then, but then you had other things going on. One sec, you get the neighborhood soundtrack here. (laughs) I love it. Um, I live in a little, little Caribbean, they call it. Um, anyway, um. And then you had things like Binance was said that they were going to buy a billion dollars worth of native crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other stuff. And yeah, they seemingly just put this industry rescue fund that was supposed to be their version of doing what what Sam and FTX were doing over the summer, like picking survivors, bailing out companies. Instead, they just moved it to another company wallet and it was their own stablecoin, about a billion dollars worth of BUSD. So... Um, you know, there are things like this that just happen all the time. Like there are tweets people were pointing this, these out months ago. That when when remember, like it seems like another thing we forgot about. Remember when all these companies were doing fake audits, like all things right. that weren't audits, like proof of reserves or attestations and all this stuff. And then they all got pulled from the internet because all the auditing companies started 
being afraid of liability, I think, and realizing that they were kind of doing not real audits that were that were holding themselves out as something like an audit. And at that time, uh, uh, Binance was moving around all this crypto, millions, billions of dollars worth of crypto, and they were claiming, oh, this is how we show our proof of reserves by this new method we figured out. And then people were posting screenshots of tweets from CZ weeks earlier in reference to FTX saying, don't trust companies that move a lot of crypto around before or after audits. And it's like, <laughs> dude, like this isn't complicated. Like you guys all do the same thing. So, you know, Binance is really at a bigger scale and has been able to keep the plates spinning for a while. But um, and they, they have this they have succeeded in being highly distributed as a company globally. But eventually, it, you know, it doesn't look that different, I think, than, than FTX. It's, it's just bigger and perhaps more elusive uh, and perhaps uh, maybe a little more sophisticated in how it's operating. Right. What is the significance between the two different uh, U.S. agencies? That Because oh, sure. everyone we've, we've spoken about so far, I believe... Uh, if it wasn't a criminal charge, it was uh, they were you know it's the SEC going after them. But with CZ so far, it's we're talking about uh, 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 the CFTC going after at him. Um, is there a significance there as to why they would be on um, this particular uh, uh, thing with CZ? Well, there you know one of the problems is that we do have these two different agencies regulating commodities and securities there's the cftc for commodities and then there's the sec for securities and there used to be reasons for this stuff it doesn't really it's not very interesting to get into but basically um something like seven or eight years ago the cftc basically stuck a flag in the ground and said bitcoin is a commodity we regulate it and and there's been other sort of turf wars the problem is that you know you have these turf wars between regulators uh the CFTC was widely seen as more industry friendly until FTX went down, and now they have a lot of work on their hands. Um, but the CFTC also has about a third of the budget of the SEC. The SEC is considered more of an uh, more aggressive enforcer. Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, was known as as a crypto skeptic in some ways, at least, or at least of the industry. So um, I think people were worried that Sam and company were going to get what they wanted, which was CFTC jurisdiction more broadly over the industry and we were almost lucky in some ways sort of kind of as a country frankly or as an economic system that sam one didn't get his his laws passed and didn't get his hooks deeper into the banking system which he really wanted uh and um and that kind of some of this collapse happened when it did because it it, it changed the terms i think of the turf war between the 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 two agencies like the cftc can't be as pliant anymore um, so I don't know what it necessarily means that like one got to him before the other or something like that, but I think, you know, just because the CFTC files a complaint doesn't mean there's not going to be a, a, an SEC one. There could be other civil, uh, those are, again, those are always civil. Uh, the SEC can refer a criminal complaint or refer someone to the justice department for potential charges. So, you know, th there's lots of potential here for enforcement if you want to decide you're a fan of, of state power um, or at least want something to be done to rein these people in or some kind of accountability. But I think, yeah, you're going to see the, the civil side with the CFTC and SEC, and that can really do a lot. It can also, I mean, the Fed is already, frankly, discouraging people, banks from working with crypto companies. Uh, crypto companies are co complaining that there's a war against them. 
uh, by the Fed. I, I think that's kind of true, but I think it's merited because just look at the last year, like they pro- they basically brought it on themselves. And then, you know, I think that there have been prosecutions by the Justice Department, and especially um, here in New York, the Southern District of New York. I, I wrote a piece for TNR uh, about Damian Williams, the U.S. attorney who's prosecuting SBF and FTX and all that. Uh, and then the Eastern District of you know, hundred million dollar Ponzi schemes, which barely make the news, but they, but, but they're hundred million dollar crypto Ponzi schemes, and they've they've been prosecuted and shut down. So there is stuff happening. There are criminal charges happening for other people besides the the top players. But uh, you know, th- there there is the Biden administration has tried to encourage some kind of like general whole of government strategy and information sharing. There are these executive orders and stuff like that. So there's no reason why the SEC can hand a bunch of information over to the Department of Justice and say, this looks illegal to us um, or, you know, other way around. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been fascinating just to watch how quickly this all sort of, you know, after I feel like years of uh, critics and skeptics in this world saying, you know, what's going on? Everyone seems asleep at the wheel while these guys uh launder money uh you know uh, straight up lie to their audience and you know just literally scam in in many ways um their you know their their investors their customers their clients and then just to see everything sort of uh i don't know whether to thank uh doquan or sbf maybe the both of them for for kicking this off because it really really was a team effort I yeah think. It, it... It is both, you know, and like it's hard to underrate the fact that like, you know, regulators, it takes time to spin this machine up kind of. I think, you know, the the Biden administration had to come in and change policy, frankly. And, and but also the government never wants to be seen as popping the bubble or like, I mean, already the industry complains enough uh, of their supposed victimization as is. But once, you know, major players start to go down kind of of their own, um, you know, the industry has complains that oh ftx had to go offshore blah 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 but you know they basically went down of their own um um inconsistencies and crimes then uh then it's easier for the government to come in and say like all right now we're going to clean this up you guys can't handle yourselves we're finally going to do some regulations some enforcement and some prosecutions but it did take those guys and you know sam sam was the nerdy face of crypto in the in the english-speaking world like in all the commercials and on capitol hill and on tv dming reporters whatever so it did kind of take the that face of crypto going down and now being a guy who's living with his parents in Palo Alto, possibly using stolen money, according to, to Forbes, to fund his defense, and wearing an ankle monitor. That's what's happened to the face of crypto. And that, and that that's one thing I've been trying to tell people is like, for a lot of like the, the regular public, like no, normies or, or just whoever, people who bought in a little bit, people who ignored crypto, that's what they think now when they, when they think of crypto. You have a lot of denial or justification or rationalization in the industry where they think like it's not just Sam or we're going to move on from this stuff. But like, you know, th- there's a huge gulf in perception between the people who think that they're still inventing in the future with crypto or that they're going to have another bull run and make money again. And the broader public who just doesn't want this or lost their money or has their money stuck on FTX. Um, and that those those two visions, I think, well, they don't even need to be reconciled. It's just going to play out, I think, where the, the industry will find that its customers aren't there when the next when they think the next bull run is going to come around. 
Right. And, and just to, you know, not to go down another rabbit hole, but just I got, I got to mention it because, I, I, you know, a few weeks ago I did the episode, an episode on what was going on with Silicon Valley Bank. But the the pro crypto VCs and the, the crypto industry themselves must be loving this Silicon Valley Bank thing, uh, you know, collapse happening at the perfect moment uh, when, you know, the SEC, like we were just talking about, all of a sudden is, is you know, throwing the book at all these various different crypto companies and founders uh, for them to all of a sudden just try to use what happened with Silicon Valley Bank to pretend like, oh, uh, look, the U.S. government's afraid of crypto now because they would be the replacement for this failing banking system. And now but, but, but they're coming after crypto to stop it. What a perfect spin for them. What a great time spin for them. It's just amazing yeah. to watch it in real time. Yeah, and, and there's always been this positioning going on. And like because crypto, I think, is always looking for a use case and kind of a compelling story to tell, you know, there is a lot of that um, whenever something happens. Like, okay, why is this good for crypto? Or why does this justify our narrative? So, you know, I, I went on CNBC a week or two ago and was asked, like, is crypto becoming a safe haven during this mini banking crisis? And I was like, no, uh, but that's, you know, that was the narrative that week. Um, uh, and the funny thing about SVB, which is a mess and like I wrote about and talked to folks about, but like in some ways the system kind of worked. I mean, the FDIC came in that, I mean, yeah, they bailed out the bank in ways that I and a lot of people don't like, but like there was minimal disruption to the larger banking industry. So like, but crypto comes in and is like, oh, this is our chance. Like we're going to be the replacement. Like you're talking about like trillions of dollars, like huge U.S. banking system. And you think like people are going to flee to safety and Bitcoin and Ethereum and that's it. Like, come on. Um, it's just this really like, it it reminds me of when Sam Bankman fried said that FTX might one day buy Goldman Sachs. It doesn't mean that Goldman Sachs is like better or wall street is better or something or more deserving of its preeminence that it currently holds. But it's like, who are you kidding? Right. Um, like know who you're up against, you know, know your enemy. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I think crypto either doesn't get or refuses to acknowledge sometimes, especially as they, they seek kind of, they see, seek either hyper Bitcoinization or, or huge scale. Like maybe this isn't something that's going to scale. I mean, right now, even just tonight, we're talking about four of the biggest figures in crypto and they're all under either serious investigation or facing criminal charges or could be one day, like they're all in serious various forms of legal jeopardy and probably will be for years. Um, and, and those are four of the biggest in, uh, industry figures. I mean, uh, to anyone who's coming at this sort of from another angle or perhaps uh, semi-objectively, which probably isn't us, um, they might th- say like, well, this seems like a troubled industry. And, and you know, again, like that that's not within our control. We'll see how, how the dominoes c- continue to fall. But I think any sort of optimism you have about this stuff shaking out in kind of a sustainable way has to be misplaced. But we're still hearing it because the industry is all hype. Right. Well, you just heard Jacob, everybody. Go to your local bank, withdraw all your money, and pour it into Bitcoin, Ethereum. Dogecoin's pumping as we speak right now, thanks to uh, of course. Elon Musk changing the Twitter bird logo to the Doge meme, like that Shiba Inu dog. Just unbelievable. What This is going to be what replaces your... your <laughs> The banking industry, uh, uh, an industry rife with scams, with uh, some of the uh, most notorious fugitives in some cases, uh, literally propping themselves up with currency created 
after uh, what decade old memes at this point. Just really <laughs> stunning, stunning. But yeah, that that's yeah. gonna replace it all, my friend. Get yeah. with the new age, Jacob. <laughs> Why can't we embrace blockchain and just understand this is the future? I don't know. Right, <laughs> Jacob Silverman, freelance writer who writes about crypto and technology. Uh, has this great podcast out uh, with CBC right now, four-part uh, 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 miniseries uh, called The Naked Emperor, all about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. And also, when when is the book with uh, Ben McKenzie coming out? Uh, that's July. Yeah, July, all right. July. And, and now I'm, I'm back on my own freelance grind and writing articles and stuff like that. So, I, I you know, I hope to be doing more about FTX, too. I mean, that, obviously, this is, this is fertile ground, but... Uh, um, yeah, hopefully there'll be more. Maybe another podcast. We'll see. Right, right. Uh, well, Jacob, uh, why don't you take the opportunity right now to, to let everyone know where they could find you online, drop any links, sure. uh, social uh, media handles, uh, floors. On yours. Twitter, I'm Silverman Jacob, and I'm I, um, sort of reviving my Substack just as a uh, place to send out announcements from. That's jacobsilverman.substack.com. And someday soon, jacobsilverman.com will be working again. But right now, it's 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 sleeping. Um, so yeah, Twitter and Substack, and I, I write a lot for the New Republic and various other places. So I, I should have some some articles coming out in the next uh, month or two about some of these companies, and and also some sort of weird corners of of a kind of crypto connected stuff that I think has been ignored. Um, and yeah, get in touch, send me tips. I'd love to talk to folks. Thanks for joining me, Jacob. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you. And getting back to that fifth individual I was talking about earlier, that NFT hustler, Donald Trump. While his alleged crimes might not be cryptocurrency related, I think you will see a scam economy episode diving into the various different Trump crypto connections coming in the not so far off future. And to support the work that goes into producing those future episodes of Scam Economy, be sure to go to patreon.com slash mattbinder to become a monthly paying subscriber. Again, your support helps this show grow. And to catch the video version of this show every week, be sure to subscribe to the channel at youtube.com slash mattbinder. You can also check my live streams there and on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. And if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, be sure to connect your Amazon account to your Twitch account so you can get a free Twitch Prime subscription every month. That's right, at no extra cost to you, you can force Amazon to give a small portion of the payment you already give them each month to your favorite creator. I'm telling you this in hopes that that creator is me. You can check out all the links to the audio podcast version of this show at scameconomy.com. And while you're at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to leave a review for the show because it helps push this show show up the podcast chart rankings and in turn it helps bring more eyeballs to the show you can follow the show on twitter at scam economy you can follow me on twitter at matt binder and with all that said i'll see you all next time on the scam economy (laughs) 